Welcome to the Fern Podcast, As the Season Turns. Released on the first of each month, the episodes follow the changing landscape of the seasons, from the moon and the stars to the tides and the trees. I'm Leah Landertz, author of The Almanac, A Seasonal Guide, and this podcast is a collaboration between myself and Fern, makers of small batch organic perfume. I love wearing Fern. In my quest to live in tune with the seasons, applying the season's perfume is a lovely little ritual that reminds me to use all my senses. We hope that this brief guide to the month ahead will awaken you to the rhythms of the year and help you to settle deeper into the seasons. Names for March March in modern English Merch in Scots and Ulster Scots Marta in Irish Gaelic Mernt in Manx Marth in Welsh Mirth in Cornish and Mar in Gerier All of these names stem from the Roman Martius the first month of the Roman calendar which itself comes from Mars, the Roman god of war and agriculture, this being his month. March's position as the first month of the year was widespread until relatively recently, with the 25th of March being considered the first day of the year in England until 1752. In Old English, this month was Hred Mona from Hreda or Reda, who was a pre-Christian fertility goddess celebrated in early spring. Her name later became Lead, and in some southern dialects of English, March was called Lead or Lead Month until well into the 19th century, a strange little relic of the Anglo-Saxon kingdoms. In Romani, this blustery month was called the Month of the Winds, Bavliacero. Bavalesco means of the wind, and Jeriengo of the clocks, so it's possible that Bavaliacero means something like wind time. March is so breezy because it's both chilly and warm. As the sun, ever higher in the sky, as we approach the equinox, warms the earth. Cool air creates high-pressure areas, while warmer air makes low-pressure ones. As the warm air rises, cold air rushes in to replace it, creating wind. For the Romani, both now and in days gone by, wind is a particularly difficult weather to deal with, living in wagons, tents or caravans, which can be flipped by a strong gust. Cooking outdoors and feeding light hay to animals are all made much more difficult by windy conditions, so March is not a favourite month among them. March in the Ancient Woodland This month spring begins in earnest and our ancient woodland begins to turn green and white, humming with energy, sparkling with birdsong. But in a managed woodland, as most UK ones are, awakening birds and bees aren't the only springtime sounds. Most of our ancient woodlands are, to a greater or lesser extent, managed by people, and this has sometimes been continuous for hundreds of years. People have always lived in or near the woods. 
The forest is a bountiful provider of food, fuel and shelter, though often with a shade of fear of things hiding and difficult to see. Through our modern lens, we're accustomed to seeing our relationship with forests as antagonistic. In far more nature-rich countries than Britain, humans are often characterised as in conflict with the forest and its creatures. Here, though, our depleted forests tend to be leisure spaces to be maintained for people who arrive in the morning and leave before it gets dark. The antagonism here is not usually with large animals, but with people are assumed to be bad actors, litterbugs and vandals. But in the ancient woodland, we can find more hopeful narratives of a mutually beneficial relationship, the forest providing and people giving back with careful husbandry. Early spring is the time for coppicing, a woodland management technique that goes back to the Stone Age. A tree is felled close to the ground, to create a stool from which new shoots will grow, encouraging the tree to grow faster and thus ensuring a ready supply of timber. Coppicing is done in rotation. Sections of trees known as coops or cants are cut in cycles. Hazel likes eight-year cycles, while slow-growing chestnut is best left alone for 15 to 20 years. These rotations mimic the woodland's natural rhythms, opening up the canopy to let in sunlight, which lights up the forest floor to allow bluebells, wood anemones and marsh marigolds to bloom. Brambles and honeysuckles take over, food sources for butterflies and bees, who in turn provide nourishment for mammals and birds and pollinate the wood. A riot of species, moving between rotations, and living in symbiotic harmony with humans. Wild Garlic Salt Woods are full of wild garlic now. Find it by following your nose. You can, of course, gather it up and chop it into omelettes, risottos, pestos and breads straight away. But you can also extend its brief season by preserving a little in a flavoured salt which will bring that fresh, herbal, gently garlicky flavour to future dishes too. Mix three to four jars. Ingredients. 100 grams of wild garlic, one kilogram of sea salt flakes. Method. Wash and dry the wild garlic and then process into a puree, either with a mortar and pestle or in a food processor. Add 100 grams of the salt and process again. Put the rest of the salt into a large bowl. Add the puree and stir it in with a fork to break it up and spread it through the salt. When it has all turned vibrant green, spread it out on a baking tray and leave it to dry in the sun under a fine mesh for at least five hours or in a very low oven for about two hours. When dry and cool, tip into sterilised jars. It will keep for a few months. During the course of March, day length increases by 2 hours and 28 minutes to 13 hours and 4 minutes at Inverness, and by 1 hour and 54 minutes to 12 hours and 50 minutes at Padstow. Moss of the Month Redshank moss, or Ceratodon purpureus, 
grows in green or reddish cushions so unassuming that it's often mistaken for other, less common species. But in spring it comes into its name, producing slender red stems called setae, at the top of which are fruiting capsules. These structures look a bit like tiny bulrushes if you're struggling to picture it. The moss then becomes much more identifiable, like beaded stalks of fairy grass rising from green turf. Redshank moss is cosmopolitan, growing on a broad range of habitats throughout the UK, though it's particularly partial to peaty or sandy soil, slightly acidic. Commonly found on heath and grassland, you may also find it on walls, roofs, bird perches, rocks and fence posts. March, the garden pond. The air is damp today and the world is beginning to smell green. This is a good day to trudge through the muddy grass to the corner of the garden where the pond glints, luxuriating in its wet greenery. By the pond, where everything is meant to be cool and soggy and sludgy, we will be at ease. Yet I feel a little afraid that if I see a face in the water, it will not be my own reflection. It's getting harder to spot frogspawn these days, but let's be hopeful. Last summer, the tiny froglets hopped out from the pond's edge, each a hero on his journey, and maybe a few have come back. I'll clear a patch of pondweed gently and peer down where the water is clear in the soft light. The scent of pond water is always nostalgic, but I won't get too close. I am remembering the warning that the old woman next door used to give when I was a child, to beware of Jenny Greenteeth, who would know when I went near the pond. She'd be waiting under the water, in the mud and tangling weeds, and she would reach up with her long, thin arms and pull me down to the bottom, where her horrible teeth would crunch my bones. If there was green pondweed on the surface, the old woman said, that meant Jenny was there and she was watching. Jenny Greenteeth is originally a Lancashire water demon, one of a whole host of bogies that have long frightened curious children as they explored rivers and wells. She has some watery sisters who share her long green hair and sharp teeth, such as Peg Powler, who lives in the River Tees, waiting for humans to snatch and devour in her underwater lair. The foam that gathers on the river's surface in places is known as Peg Powler's suds. That old woman who lived next door had very long hair, right down to her knees, and a glint in her eye when she told me about Jenny Greenteeth. I remember she kept a dried frog on the sideboard, next to the jars of homemade chutney. The pond in her garden was visited by many frogs, and she told me it was lucky to meet one and meant you'd soon come into some money. She said that in Scotland, some women kept a frog always in the cream jug for just this reason. For many years after that, I always said no to cream with pudding. She was not so fond of toads, since they were witches' familiars, and you never knew who was looking out from their beautiful eyes. It might be an enemy, come to pry. How I wished I could inhabit a toad and hop from garden to garden spying on the neighbours. 
She had very beady eyes, that old woman, and was very good at spotting frogs and toads from her kitchen window while she stirred her great big cooking pot. It's funny that she never mentioned how often frogs were listed as ingredients for the witch's cauldron, or used as charms or cures. Let's clear some more of the pondweed away now and peer down into the dark, cold water, which still has the scent of childhood. You never know who might look back up at you. Spring and Neap Tides Spring tides are the most extreme tides of the month, with the highest rises and the lowest falls, and they follow a couple of days after the full moon and new moon. These are the times to choose a low tide and go rock pooling, mudlarking or coastal fossil hunting. Neap Tides are the least extreme, with the smallest movement, and they fall in between the spring tides. Spring tides this month will fall around the 11th to the 13th and the 26th to the 28th. Neap tides will be around the 4th to the 6th and the 18th to the 20th. Average sea temperatures this month in St Andrews in Scotland will be around 6.5 degrees Celsius and in St Austell in Cornwall will be around 9 degrees Celsius. And here's the breath, with a song for March. So here we are in March. March is always a good time in my house. It's when the windowsills get full of seedlings, the allotment. Uh, this next song's called Land of My Own.
March's perfume ingredient, bitter orange tree. Without the bitter orange tree, perfumery would soon grind to a halt. It's a generous plant, beautiful and stately and stuffed full of aromatic oils. We get petit grain from the leaves and twigs, narrowly from the blossom, and orange oil from the rind of the fruit itself. Petit grain is sharp, woody and fresh, with aspects of the orange tree's more delicate blossom. The name comes from the French petit grain, literally little grain, referring to the fact that the oil used to be derived from unripe oranges, which are green and tiny. The blossoms, from which green, airy neroli is derived, are hand-picked dew-fresh at dawn. They must be immediately pressed and steam-distilled. Every second they sit in the morning sun detracts from Neroli's characteristically fresh scent. Nothing is wasted. The water produced by steam distillation has its own delicious scent and can be used in a fragrance's blend. For the orange itself, which is juicy and bitter, marmalade-scented, the fruit is hand-picked in early summer, its rind cold-pressed on sight. Each of these elements features in Fern's upcoming Spring 24 fragrance. This one is close to my heart, as it's inspired by a very special harvest from the vegetable garden, forced rhubarb, a staple of early spring desserts. You can find out more at www.fern.co. Moon phases for this month. The last quarter moon will fall on the 3rd of March. The new moon on the 10th of March. The first quarter moon is on the 17th of March and the full moon on the 25th of March. March's full moon is known as the plough moon. The first full moon following the ecclesiastical spring equinox. It is also the paschal moon that dictates the timing of Easter Sunday. On the 25th of March this year, there will be a penumbral lunar eclipse of the full moon, which is when the moon moves through the faint outer part of the Earth's shadow. It will be visible from the Americas and Asia, but not the UK and Ireland, where it will occur beneath the horizon. The Spring Equinox The Earth takes 24 hours to rotate on its axis, with half of the Earth in shadow night, and half in light, day. It does this on an angle of 23.4 degrees, known as the axial tilt, and it is this angle that is responsible for our seasons, because as well as rotating on its own axis, the Earth also orbits the Sun, taking a year to do so. During this time, the axial tilt stays constant, and so as the Earth moves around the Sun, Different parts of it receive greater or smaller amounts of its heat and light. When the Earth is at the point where the North Pole is leaning towards the Sun, we have reached the Northern Hemisphere's summer solstice and the Southern Hemisphere's winter solstice. When the Earth moves around to the other side of the Sun, so that the South Pole is tilted towards the Sun, then the Southern Hemisphere has its summer and the Northern Hemisphere has its winter. The equinoxes, in spring and autumn, occur at exactly the halfway points between these moments. The axis of the Earth at these times is side-on to the Sun, 
which means that, momentarily, no hemisphere is favoured. Day and night are roughly even all over the world, from tropical Colombia at the equator to icy Lapland in the Arctic Circle. The exact moment of the equinox is when the sun is directly overhead at the equator. This year, that happens on the 20th of March at 3.06 a.m. Fairy Tale The North Wind and the Sun Our fairy tale features a battle between the sun and the wind that may well have taken place in March. Once upon a time, the North Wind and the Sun were arguing over which one of them was the strongest when a traveller passed along the road, wrapped in a long coat. I have an idea that will settle this, said the Sun. Let us see which of us can remove the cloak of this traveller. Whoever can do it is the strongest. The north wind scoffed. With all of the powers he had at his command, he could not see how he could fail this contest. He quickly agreed and puffed up his cheeks, then sent a freezing blast of wind towards the traveller. The wind whipped at the cloak and it started to flap and twist. But the traveller just wrapped it around him more securely. The north wind blew and blew, but the colder and more harsh the wind became, the tighter the traveller clung to it. The north wind's efforts were futile. Now it was the sun's turn, and he beamed down at the poor traveller. At first he just sent a gentle warmth, which made the traveller relax his grip on the cloak. And then he sent a little more warmth, so that the man unfastened it and let it hang loose over his shoulders. The sun's rays grew warmer and warmer, and the traveller took off his hat and wiped his brow. Eventually the heat of the sun was so strong that the traveller removed the cloak completely, lay it down and took a nap under a tree by the side of the road. The sun had won. Thank you for listening to this month's episode. Please do like and subscribe. All episodes are released on the first of each month. This episode was March, the third of our 2024 series. I'm Leah Leindertz, and if you enjoyed this podcast, you will also enjoy my book, The Almanac, A Seasonal Guide to 2024. This year's theme is In the Garden. As the season turns is now in its fourth year, so there's lots to explore for each month. March's Found Sound with Alice Boyd will be released on Friday the 15th. Do subscribe to be notified. Found Sounds are a new addition to As the Season Turns for 2024, exploring the sounds of a wild place in Britain. These mini-episodes are for listeners who wish to feel that little bit more immersed in the natural world as we move through the year. A meditation of sorts, crafted from field recordings and interviews. Do also listen back to last year's folk music from Gwilym Bowen Rees, which is now available as an album, Canyon y Fluiden, Songs for the Year, mastered by Jeff Bird. This podcast is produced by Jeff Bird. Catriona Bolt is the production coordinator.
In addition to my own contributions, Zoe Gilbert, author of Mischief Acts, wrote and read the Garden Pond stories. The folk song was played by The Breath, Raina Connolly and Stuart McCallum, who also provided music for the intro. This podcast has been created by Fern. Fern is an organic fragrance maker based in Somerset. Working with the rhythms of the seasons, they blend, barrel age and bottle four fragrances a year. Each fragrance is made to order for the names on the Fern production ledger. To join the ledger and find out more, visit www.fern.co or visit the link in the podcast description.